Brazil went full Brazil tonight, and that is bad news for the rest of the teams at the FIFA World Cup. This is Jackson Fuller, and the latest episode of the Sports Gazette's FIFA World Cup podcast. Tonight, I will be joined by Slyle Anthony Golding and Kayla Mutombla to recap an exciting day of round of 16 action featuring a penalty shootout victory by Croatia over Japan and a thumping statement win by Brazil over South Korea. We're also going to take a quick preview of tomorrow's round of 16 matches where Portugal face Switzerland and Spain have a neighborly rivalry against Morocco. Can the favorites keep winning at this FIFA World Cup? Let's get stuck in. How's it going, everybody? Jackson Fuller here with the Sports Gazette's FIFA World Cup podcast, and it is somehow episode 12 of our FIFA World Cup journey. Tonight, I'm joined by a pair of Sports Gazette reporters, Lyle Anthony Golding. Lyle, how are you tonight? I'm not too bad. Jackson enjoyed that fantastic performance from Brazil, so I'm doing pretty well. I sure, I'm sure you did, my friend Caleb. And uh, of course, I'm also joined by Caleb Mutombo. Caleb, how are you tonight? No, I'm good. I think the world order is slowly getting restored in the World Cup. Results are back to where we expect them. Settings default, so good to see that happening as well. Yeah, the round of 16 has been a good time for the favorites, uh, but we will touch on that maybe a little bit later in the podcast. We've just finished watching today's matches, which featured a penalty shootout victory by Croatia over Japan and a statement thumping by Brazil against South Korea. It was a sad day for the Asian countries. Guys, I think we have to start with Brazil, even though the other match went to penalties. It was... Probably the best performance of the tournament so far, perhaps Spain over Costa Rica, but I think South Korea are a much better side than Costa Rica. Lyle, you are a noted Brazil fan. Take us back two hours ago. Brazil hadn't really put forth a complete performance yet at this World Cup. Were there any nerves about this team coming into this round of 16 match? And, you know, what are your thoughts now about El Cidasau? Um, I think... I wouldn't call it nerves, but, you know, as as a fan of Brazil, there's definitely some question marks that were there, especially with, you know, we heard that Neymar was, was fit and that he would play some part, but we didn't know how much or if he would start, and he did start. Um, so I wouldn't say it was nerves, but I was well aware that the, the South Koreans were a very good team. I watched the game where they played against um, Portugal and they and they beat them, and it was a very well-rounded performance. So coming into this game, we knew that South Korea were a threat, but the performance that the Brazilians put on was absolutely phenomenal in that first half. I felt like at times they were playing in second gear almost, and they were still just carving South Korea open. And at times you could see that the Koreans at the back were a bit loose with their defending, but some of the goals from from Brazil today, fantastic. That Richardson goal, I think now he has probably two of the three best goals at the tournament. So overall, I think it was a fantastic performance, and I think it bodes well for Brazil going forward in this tournament. Yeah, and uh, I think Neymar's impact was obvious today. He might not have had the flicks and tricks that he normally does, but he picks up such intelligent spaces, specifically on the Vinicius opener. His run sucked in three South Korean defenders, and it left the Real Madrid winger wide open at the edge of the box. Caleb... I think Brazil entered the tournament as favorites, right? They were the the odds-on team, the most likely to win. 
We had the three group stage games. They, like I said, not the most of convincing of performances in that time, including a loss to Cameroon. But tonight was very impressive. Should we start re- retracking our steps and considering Brazil the favorites once again? Look, they, they look like a team on holiday in Qatar and the football is just part of their itinerary when you watch them play. And that's exactly what you want teams to look like when they're playing tournament football. Not a lot of pressure on themselves, just letting their feet work and their talent do the work for them. Um, it's not a it's not a football podcast if you don't have Caleb giving a rugby analogy. We talk about earning the right to go wide. So they earned their right to have that dance much to Roy Keane's despise. And I think they're allowed to do that when you're leading a team 3-0 and you're absolutely dominant. I, should we start talking about Argentina-Brazil in the final? Is it too early? Is it not too early? I don't know. Uh, they look like a team who are favourites and they played like favourites. So absolutely living up to the hype. They hadn't put a complete performance, but I think that's what great teams do. They they peak at the right times and they wait for their moments to, to get the knife in and turn it. Yes, South Korea did not do themselves to use the football cliche, any favours. But a great team should always be able to punish a team that's performing below par. So it's, 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 it's great to see that they're firing. Yeah, you mentioned the dancing. Uh, I, I'm personally, I love it. I, I think sports are meant to be fun. We're meant to, uh, you know, enjoy what we're watching. And teams, especially football, is it's supposed to be a show even of sorts at times. Uh, did you, you mentioned it, you didn't have any problem with the dancing, right, Caleb? Did you like it or was it, or did you have a problem with it at all? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Vuvuzela when it came onto the scene. I vividly remember Sipuri Chabalala in 2010 doing his dance, Asamoa Gyan. I was, I was loving what the, the Samba boys were doing on the dance floor. I beg your pardon, on the football pitch tonight, uh, because you even had John Champion talking about in the second half, welcome back to Strictly, um, in reference to Strictly Come Dancing. And it's, it's what you want to see. It's it's the world's biggest show. That's the World Cup. It happens every four years. And if teams are playing so well, let the boys have a little bit of a dance, um, Roy. Let the boys enjoy what they're doing. They've earned the right. If they were leading 1-0 and they're dancing like that, then I have a problem. But it's the third goal. They know they're not losing that match. I loved it. Absolutely. Uh, to Just a quick recap of the match tonight, in case you didn't see it. Uh, Brazil scored all four of their goals in the first half. Vinny in the seventh minute, Neymar with a penalty in the 13th minute, which I believe puts him one goal behind Pele for Brazil's all-time leader. Uh, Richarlison in the 29th, as Lyle said, one of the uh, more exquisite goals of the tournament. And West Ham's Lucas Paqueta got on the score sheet in the 36th minute. Uh, South Korea did get one back behind Pike Soho. Uh, in the 76 minute, absolutely beautiful long shot. Lyle, I thought South Korea were quite brave, especially early on. Uh, they maybe to their downfall eventually, but they were pressing high. They were trying to win the ball back. Brazil so talented passing out of the back, they were able to get around it. But you know, even when South Korea goes down two, three, nothing, I thought they were still going for the match. And it, it didn't work. And I think we, we saw tonight why some teams elect to sit back and absorb pressure rather than, you know, go for it. Do you think this performance might encourage teams, Croatia, maybe even in Argentina, who haven't been the most impressive side other than the brilliance of Lionel Messi, to kind of employ some of those more conservative tactics now when they go against Brazil? Um, I think it's, it's definitely on the cards, especially with Croatia. Croatia, we know, are a team that are happy at times to sit back behind the ball. They've got great defenders and a great defensive setup with their coach. Um, but 
I think that Korea, like you said, they they really tried. And unfortunately for them, it didn't come off, but they showed encouraging signs. They went forward. They're trying to press from the front. Obviously, Brazil, like you said, with Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, experts at playing out from the back. So I, I don't think when it comes to teams like Argentina, they'll employ a fully conservative style in terms of sitting back fully against the Brazilians because you're just asking for trouble, giving Neymar and Co. time on the ball. I think it's going to have to be a bit of balance in terms of how much you press, how much you you sit back. But in terms of the Croatia game, which is what we're going to see in the quarterfinals, I, fu- I fully expect Croatia to go 100% conservative, sit back behind the ball, try and hit Brazil on the counter and try and be resolute because that's what's worked for them in this tournament so far. And I mean, based on what we saw from Korea, it's it's imperative that if you do go forward, you're not leaving yourself open and vulnerable at the back. Yeah, I think that's a good analysis. I do think there's a chance Croatia might try to outnumber Brazil in the midfield. Uh, Neymar plays so high forward. It's really four forwards for Brazil. And Croatia do have Modric, Kovacic, and, and Brozovic. So it'll be interesting to see kind of the tactical battle there. But I'm with you. I think Croatia is going to sit far back. Before we move on, I just want to say I think if Brazil looked incredible tonight, they could look even better if if Rafinha starts finding his his shooting boots. Uh, he's he's the guy that right now there's so much attention going to Richarlison and Vinny and Neymar. There's a lot of space on that right side for Rafinha. He had a few shots saved today. Both keepers played well. I mean, Alisson had five saves for Brazil. So uh, if if Rafinha starts finding the back of that, it just becomes even more difficult for teams to, to stop this Brazil team. Uh, let's move on. Croatia, Japan, the three of us actually watched extra time and the penalties together in the Sports Gazette studios. It was kind of a boring final 60 minutes of that game after uh, Croatia got the equalizer, but they did get it done in the end on penalties. Um Caleb, do you think Japan should have gone for it more? I think they, they've played such brilliant football at times against Spain and Germany. May, would, can we blame them for maybe being a little too tentative once Croatia got the equalizer today? I, I think you can't, because of the nature of the team that they are, they were happy to be in the in the round of 16 already, and they were trying to find a way to sneak themselves into the quarterfinals. I don't think Japan would have done any more. The game wasn't that sort of a game where they could go for it even more. We know how Croatia plays. I think within a Japanese team, that's not as that does not have a squad of great pedigree like some of the teams we see at this World Cup. They they shouldn't have allowed it to go to the penalties, but I don't think they could have done much more than they did today. They 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 led that encounter, and Croatia realized, oops, we might lose this one. And then Croatia started pressing a little bit to try and get an equalizer, and which happened. And then you could see that Croatia sort of like looked from the 70th minute, they were comfortable going to penalties, knowing that they've got the bigger, the bigger hearts that are that are okay having a lot of blood going through their veins in those crunch moments and taking those penalties. So it's it's a it's a bit tough on a Japan team that is not uh, as experienced in terms of tournament football. But I think in in a, in a holistic performance as a nation, they should be proud of what they achieved this World Cup. And I think it's 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 a process of nation building they've done in terms of their sport in general. Japan as a sporting nation is growing around the world in terms of their pedigree. And to see their football come to fruition in a big tournament like in Qatar today was was excellent. Though it didn't make of a pretty watch, we've seen better games. And for somebody who's not a big football staunch football follower like I am, it's games like those that don't encourage me to watch more. But it's World Cup football. Croatia probably don't care how they got into the quarters, do they? Not at all. Uh, 
and exactly right on your take about Japanese sporting culture, their sporting success, and specifically their football success. Two straight World Cups where they make the round of 16 and lose in heartbreaking fashion. I imagine their uh, spot in, a spot in the quarterfinals is not too far off for Japan. Uh, and they did have a lead in this one. Uh, Dazen Maeda scored in the 43rd minute just on the eve of halftime to give them a one nothing lead. And Ivan Perisic had the equalizer in the 55th off an absolutely stunning ball from Dejan Lovren out of the back. And and then in penalties, Croatia won 3-1, and goalkeeper Dominic Lovakovic uh, made three saves for Croatia. He really rose to the occasion. You mentioned those those big hearts, Caleb, and Croatia, last World Cup, they won two penalty shootouts. They now have given up the first goal in the last five knockout games that they've played in. Uh, Lyle, do we take their... Do we take for granted Croatia's experience and just how battle-tested these guys are? I mean, it's it's some of these names are not that recognizable other than Modric and, and Kovacic, but this team has been there and made a deep run. Are we? Do we tend to forget this? I mean, do, based on what I saw in terms of the amount of people that were picking Japan, I think it's both a testament to how good Japan were in the, in the group stages, but it's also like what you said, a lot of people tend to forget how much experience can carry a team and how much being there before and knowing how to get there is important. And for a team that has so many of those players coming back from that 2018 finals run, it's going to be massive for them. Obviously, Modric, their captain, their leader, as well as Perisic, their, I believe, all-time leading goal scorer in major tournaments. He he surpassed Davor Suka today. So they have players that have been there. They know how to get it done. And I think that that experience is going to come to... Well, I'm not sure if it's going to come to fruition this tournament because they go against Brazil next game, but it's it's definitely something that's valuable and it's something that ensures that in games like this against Japan where it's tight and they just need maybe need to grind it out, these are the games that they can come out and win. Yeah, it's hard to put it into context, into even into words at times, that those intangibles of being experienced and just really tough-minded, refusing to lose. Uh, they, they didn't look great for large portions of the match tonight, but one moment of brilliance and they have the equalizer and then they go to penalties and they just appeared right from the start of the shootout, the more confident side. Uh, Lyle, as our resident Brazil fan, uh, you sound pretty confident going into the quarterfinals, but if you can pick one thing about this Croatian side that might worry you as going into the, the match, I think it's uh, Friday, this coming Friday at 3 o'clock, uh, what is it uh, that might worry you about the Croatians? Well, if I had to pick one thing, it would probably be, like you said, the, the midfield. They're going to look to crowd that midfield with Modric, Kovacic and Brozovic. And today we played uh, Paqueta, Neymar and Casemiro as a midfield three. And that's really two attacking midfielders and then Casemiro sitting. So if you play that, that on the front foot, it's obviously going to give Croatia a chance to overload the middle of the park and maybe get some, some joy in the midfield. So if I had to look out for one thing, it would probably be their midfield. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the strength of this Croatian team. It's been their strength for the past however many years. Luka Modric has been running as the engine of that team. So uh, we're going to take a quick break in just a second. But before we do, then uh, when we come back from that break, we're going to preview tomorrow's matches. But before we do, uh, Caleb has already mentioned this on the podcast so far. He is more of a rugby guy, not the biggest of football fans. I don't want to put words into your mouth, Caleb, but... You know, you mentioned to me before this podcast today that you've kind of 
the, this World Cup has maybe reinvigorated your football fandom a little bit. Just can you go into detail a little bit what this tournament's done for you and, and why that might be? Well, firstly, it's, it's clear to say I'm not anti-football. Day I call it <laughs> soccer and get cancelled. It's I, I used to be a staunch Arsenal supporter, but what happened with, with the departure of, of our great players back in the day, your Patrice, um, your your Vieiras, your Thierry Henrys, your Ashley Cole, then that team just kind of lost its way and so did my passion for football. But what this World Cup has done for me is it has made me realize that there is actually interesting tournament football still being played in the world. We've had so many upsets. And what it's also done is you've you've seen the excitement from non-football people around the issues that are happening in Qatar positive or negative thereof as well and what that has done is just made me say I just want to watch the football and see what happens and seeing Spain and Germany um, on the verge of being knocked out for three or so minutes during that day of the World Cup just made it even more exciting for me and taking taking the mic on to some of my classmates who support those teams at, at their core and some of the reporters who are backing those teams and what it's done for me is it's made it a spectacle again, and a massive shout-out to the broadcasters out there. I think they've done a superb job um, in, in the way they've brought the pictures to, to everybody in their, in their comfort, their homes. It's a Winter World Cup here in the UK, and it hasn't made it of a ball watch. We've all gathered around, and it's it's been the upsets that have made that World Cup. I haven't seen a good upset in a while, and this World Cup has done that. Soccer had become, or football had become <laughs> predictable in the last couple of years for me. And this World Cup isn't that much until the knockout stages. And we're about to have a really thrilling quarterfinals and semifinals if the favorites do move on, where I think you could might have some teams like Brazil and France that are at the top of the pecking order. But who knows? It could be coming home. It might be Spain. There's, there's a whole lot of options. But you're right. If there's a... This type of football, this tournament with these high stakes, it brings just a tingling feeling to all of us. Yeah, you talk about in England-France in, in the quarters. Uh, you talk about that Croatia-Brazil game. Um, you, you still have the, the, the Portugals of, of this world having to compete, which we're going to preview today. And it's it's made an interesting World Cup, barring um, the, the favourites winning. And we got a dance today. That's also what made it what made the pleasure to watch. I was waiting for a World Cup dance and the Samba boys delivered. That they did. And hopefully we get to see a couple more along the way before this before this month is over. Uh, let's take a quick break right there. When we come back, we will be talking Tuesday's matches that somehow will close out the round of 16. So let's first start with the early match tomorrow, Tuesday. It is Spain versus Morocco, a neighborly rivalry. Uh, Caleb, how worried are we about Spain based off their last two performances? A draw against Germany and a loss to Japan. They started the tournament with a flyer against Costa Rica, but they still really haven't beaten an elite side at this, at this tournament. What, what are your thoughts on Spain heading into tomorrow? Well, you talk about ha- having not beaten an elite side. If they slip up tomorrow, that Moroccan side is going to pounce. And they're not playing a Costa Rica, neither they're playing a South Korea or a Saudi Arabia or Mexico who aren't at the quality that they need to be. That Moroccan, um, that Moroccan side have things to play for. And they've been kind of swimming under the waters without people paying too much attention to what they're doing. 
But I don't think we should be worried about Spain. With that being said, it's a little bit contradictory. But I think it's a team that's in growing pains of a tournament. They seem to be... You want a team to play like that in the group stages and still scrape through and have them grow and grow and grow as the tournament goes. They've got some quality players on that Spanish side of theirs. You've got your Moratas. And I think they'll know what they need to do against the Moroccan side. But if they don't absolutely play within their 95 to 100 percentile kind of range, they might be in trouble because Morocco will... They're taking this as their final. That Moroccan side will just come and have a go. So, but I'm not. I'm not worried. I think Spain will see through because it's getting to a point where the teams that have an understanding of how to to operate at this level in terms of tournament football will operate. So, I'm 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 tipping Spain to go through tomorrow. Yeah, I think that Morocco um, present can present maybe some unique challenges for Spain, especially down that right hand side with Hakim Ziyech and Hakimi. Uh, that's kind of been where most of the Moroccan success has been. But we've seen it so far with these big teams, especially on the final match day of the group stage. Some of them have done heavy rotations. Uh, some of them haven't had much to play for. And it's hard to bring forth your best performance when you're pretty much guaranteed of ex- of going through the group, which Spain, you know, despite those three minutes where they were out, I think they felt like heading into that final match day, oh, we're easily going through due to our goal differential and where we are in the table. So I'm not too worried about the, J- the Japanese performance. Uh, Lyle, I think the interesting question for Spain is, I think their back four and their midfield three are very kind of locked in right now. But what does Luis Enrique do up top? Morata's got three goals on the tournament, but I don't know, even know if he's first choice. Do you think Morata starts and, you know, who plays with him up top? Is it just Danny Olmo and, and Ferran Torres, or does Ansu Fati get a shout? What do you think uh, Enrique elects for tomorrow? Um, I'm not too sure in terms of the wings. I do think Alvar Morata will play. He's on three goals. I think he's been a decent focal point when he has played. That goal against Japan was a very good header. He ghosted in between the center halves. It was a very good typical striker's goal. So I think Morata should go through the middle. I would go on the wings, Danny Olmo and Ferran Torres. I think Olmo's been decent in the tournament. And I'm personally, I don't really rate Asensio that highly. Um, so I personally would go Ferran Torres and Danny Olmo. I think that those two complement Alvaro Morata really well. I think Olmo is a good mixture of creativity and cutting edge going forward in terms of looking to score himself. And then, you know, Ferran Torres would provide a good foil off the right-hand side. So I would go with that front three, but I'm not too sure. I think... He does like Nico Williams. He does like um, Marco Asensio. That is Luis Enrique. So it's really up in the air, like you said, about their forwards. But that's the front three I would go with. Yeah, and Asensio was the guy that led the line when they put seven past Costa Rica. I know it was yeah. Costa Rica, but you could argue that was Spain's most fluid performance so far of the tournament. And uh, there was no pure nine out there on the field. Uh, Lyle, what do you think is, is the key for Morocco tomorrow? How do they spring an upset over Spain? I think they have to bank on the fact that they've been very, very good defensively so far. I think Roman Saiz has been one of the players of the tournament, so underrated from centre-half. And I think I believe it's three... Oh, no, sorry. Excuse me. They have two clean sheets, and they're unbeaten in the tournament so far. And I think it's been down a lot to the way that they defend. And we've talked about their fullbacks, Ziyech and Mazuari, very good fullbacks. So I think at first, they're going to have to be very resolute in terms of their defence. And then when they do get those chances... Um, for any Siri, Bufal and Ziyech, when they get those chances, they have to take them against Spain because it's going to be very tough. Spain, we know, want to boss possession. 
we know the position stats at the end of the game are probably going to be something like 60-40, 70-30. So when they do get position and when they do create their chances through the right-hand side with Hakimi, they have to take advantage of it. But I expect them to be very resolute defensively because I trust that defense. Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget right now. It's a group winner versus a group runner-up, and Morocco is the group winner, and Spain is the group runner-up. And uh, I don't, you know, I think it's not too surprising that maybe these two teams are facing each other. But in that context, it's a it's a little little upside down for this uh, round of sixteen tie. Uh, let's move on to Portugal versus Switzerland. Uh, this will be the third meeting between the two teams in this calendar year of twenty twenty two. They faced twice in the Nations League. Portugal won 4 nothing in Lisbon before Switzerland won 1-0 in Geneva a week later. Uh, Fernando Santos said that he really didn't like Cristiano Ronaldo's reaction to being substituted against South Korea. So even more Ronaldo drama for us this tournament. Caleb, is there any chance Ronaldo doesn't start? Is there any chance that this Portugal team puts him on the bench for his reaction to that substitution? or even because maybe they could be a better side without him? Or am I just living in fantasy land imagining that? Um, I don't know. It depends how big the coach's ego is. Uh, in, in terms of dropping Ronaldo, I don't think that's a wise call. Even if Ronaldo doesn't score, he's, his X factor and just being on the park forces teams to think about him with or without the ball and to dedicate some sort of resources towards containing him which most teams do still fail at doing. So I think benching Ronaldo at this particular time of the tournament is not wise, not only for the result, but also for the camp. It will be curious to see what other players within that camp think and what they see of Ronaldo as. So in as much as he didn't like it, I'm not quite sure if it's the smartest thing to voice those concerns and let his feelings out in that sense in terms of his dressing room setup as a coach. I don't see Ronaldo being dropped. It will be a shocker if he is. I don't think it's a wise move dropping him because then you might have an issue where he might continue the same attitude and you go into a quarterfinal with Cristiano Ronaldo not in the right frame of mind wanting to play for you. So sometimes you let the egos be, let Ronaldo be Ronaldo. I don't agree with his kind of behavior, but sometimes to some extent, some players might just seem a little bit too big for the team. And it might be the case with Ronaldo and some coaches just have to live with it. I, I think you're spot on, mate. I think that is a great analysis of the situation because if Ronaldo does get benched, he is going to throw a fit and that will probably upend the locker room even more than if you just roll him out and, and let him go. Uh, for me, I think one of the best storylines of this tournament has been the play of Briel Imbolo for uh, Switzerland. He scored against Cameroon, his his country of birth in the opening match and then scored uh, against Serbia and in the final match day that clinched their uh, advancement to the knockout rounds. And then Bruno Fernandes, I think, has been excellent for Portugal. I think you've got two of the best players of the tournament. Uh, Lyle, are we taking Switzerland seriously enough? I think that there might be uh, a feeling of, oh, Portugal are going to advance easily. But Switzerland have been a thorn in the side of some of these big nations. They knocked out uh, France at the Euros in the round of 16 uh, last year, what what are you what are you seeing from the Switzerland side, and are we giving them enough respect heading into tomorrow's match? Um, I'm not sure in terms of the respect for I certainly respect Switzerland a lot in terms of when I watched that Brazil against Switzerland game, they defended so stoutly, and they were very unlucky to to concede from a moment of brilliance from Casemiro, and then we saw them go out and and beat Serbia 
3-2 coming from 2-1 down with Mbola and Freuler scoring. I think Switzerland are a very, very good team. I'm not too sure in terms of this match against Portugal, but I'm going to go out on a limb because I don't really trust Portugal that much, especially with the play of Cristiano Ronaldo. I think that I, w- I would tend to agree with you guys in terms of benching him can mess up the dynamic of the locker room. I do it anyways. <laughs> I'll just say it. I would bench him anyways because I think genuinely the team will and can play better without him. I think playing the team with Bruno Fernandes as the focal point, as the leader, would be a better option for Portugal, but I don't expect it to happen. I expect Cristiano Ronaldo to go from the start. And I think this could be the game, you know, the last game of the round of 16. This could be where we see upset watch on full on full alert for Portugal because I'm not going to rule out the Swiss at all. Just for some context, listeners, Lyle Anthony Golding, noted Man United and bitter Cristiano Ronaldo fan. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, let's get to some predictions real quick and then we'll head out of here. Lyle, you started hinting at an upset. Are you going to pull the trigger? Uh, what are your predictions for both of tomorrow's matches? You know... Jackson Fuller, that I am not a trigger shy man, and I am pulling the trigger. I think Switzerland are going to pull the upset, and I think they're going to beat Portugal 2 1. And in terms of the Morocco versus Spain game, I think that's going to be a lot title. I actually think it's going to be 1 1 going into extra time, and I think Spain will just nick a goal in extra time and win that game 2 1 as well. So I have Spain and I have Switzerland going through. All right, Caleb, what about you? I think the upsets are over. Um, the world is back in what way it belongs in terms of hierarchy. And Spain are going to win that one. I'm putting them 2-0 up and they're going to beat Morocco. And I think Portugal are going to beat um, Switzerland. I'm just thinking the solitary goal. So 1-0 to Swiss, um, to Portugal. So both the favourites in those two games are going to go through. And yeah, the, the, the World Cup of upsets is over for the little teams. Sorry to call them little, but it's time for the big boys to play. I think Spain will win one nothing. I think that they are fed up with scoring early and giving up goals afterwards. They took the lead in both the Germany and Japan games. I think Spain get an early goal, and then they do what Spain do. They possess the ball. They don't let you get a foot in, and they hang on for a one nothing victory. And as much as I would like to see one upset in the tournament, I think I would rather see all of the big boys get through. So I'm going to go Portugal beating Switzerland, but I think it'll happen in penalty kicks with Ronaldo making the game winner just to piss Lyle Anthony Golding off a little. <laughs> uh, for those that aren't aware, uh, over at the Sports Gazette, Lyle Anthony Golding and um, Andrew Smith have been doing live comms of all of the matches, or not all the matches, excuse me, but of some of the matches. Uh, Lyle, do you know when you guys are next doing a, uh, a live comms? Um, well, what we're looking at now is doing the Friday game between the Netherlands and Argentina at 7 p.m. Um, we're looking at sorting out, getting that ready. But right now, it's looking like that for the next game. Cool. And if not, if, if there's a change, you can uh, follow along on the Sports Gazette. But I encourage people to listen in there. They're doing some excellent work with their commentations. So, uh, Lyle, appreciate you so much for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, man. It was a great experience. Caleb, thank you for taking a break from rugby to come chat a little football with us. Yeah, football is great. Life is a game, but rugby is serious. Thanks for having me.
<laughs> awesome, guys. Appreciate you joining me, and thank you to the listeners as well. We will be back tomorrow night recapping the final uh, group of round of 16 matches with an eye toward the quarterfinals. It's, I can't believe uh, we're getting to these late stages of the World Cup, but here we are. Thank you so much. Thank you.